Any health-related information on the following show provides general information only. Content presented on any show by any host or guest should not be substituted for a doctor's advice. Always consult your physician before beginning any new diet, exercise, or treatment program. Welcome to Organic Healthy Lifestyle, and I'm Nancy Addison, your host, and this show is dedicated to sharing information that will inspire and inform a more conscious life that creates a healthier lifestyle, and this program takes a holistic approach to health and wellness, which means we look at all the areas of our life and how they are connected. Well, today we're going to talk about farming and food, and I've got a wonderful guest today, Richard Kemp, who is also a radio show host for K106.9, the country giant out of Abilene, Texas, one of uh, a major uh, farming area here in the state of Texas. Uh, Richard is a graduate of UCLA, where he majored in things like uh, TV, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I'm just wondering how you got into the, so interested in farming, and then also doing a radio show in Abilene. Can you kind of share a little bit about yourself with our guests before we launch into talking about uh, farming, the farm bill, and farm aid, and various sure. things that have to do with agriculture? Sure. I'm happy to do that, and I appreciate the platform, Nancy. We've we've been friends for a number of years, and I'm always delighted to be on your show. and And when you ask, I uh, I'll clean the slate and uh, help Nancy out wherever I can. First, before we get into my background, let's say a quick little prayer for those folks in Mexico City who have just been hit by a 7.1 earthquake. They've struck Mexico City, and our hearts and prayers go out to them. Oh, my goodness, yes, and, uh, and that is huge. It's breaking news. It's just happened, and uh, yeah, those that are listening in Mexico City know that we're, you're in our thoughts and our prayers, and if we can help in any way, we want to help. In regard yes. to my background, I am a second-generation broadcaster. Actually, I've been trying to do my uh, genealogy in my family because on the receiving end of the first Atlantic, transatlantic signal from Marconi to to uh, the UK, to London, there was a camp on the receiving end. I'm trying to connect the dots to that guy, but I come from a second-generation broadcasting family, a fifth-generation Texas farming family, and uh, my first day on the job, quite frankly, in broadcasting was the day Kennedy was assassinated. I was in the third grade. My dad had the radio station in a little bitty town, and Mom came and got us, my older brother and I, and we went to work in the radio station. And I, quite frankly, I've been doing something in radio, television, or film ever since. I just haven't stopped. Now is my day to take a, take the family business and broadcasting to the next level, and and that's my, one of my mission statements. In addition to agriculture, because agriculture is truly the foundation of our nation. It is. It's the backbone of our national security. It's the lifeblood of the American economy. 
I mean, it is huge. Try feeding a nation without growing your own food. It's near impossible. You can't do it. Woe is the country that can't feed its people. And that's the crossroads that we find ourselves in today. America has become a situation, nation, where we're importing more than we're growing, and we have to turn that tide. If it gets much beyond us, much farther beyond the, this calling, we're going to be in trouble as a nation because we won't be able to feed our people. We import more, more food than, than we grow from Mexico and from Canada. You know, cotton exports. India is the leading grower of cotton right now, and that's got to change. It's India, Pakistan, and Texas are the leading growers of cotton, and that's got to change in my world. So I'm, I'm happy to have the platform to talk about it and have an open discussion about it. And um, that's kind of where we are. We're, I live in <laughs> District 19. I'm in Congressional District 19. I sit on an agricultural subcommittee that takes care of 29 counties here. We have roughly 14 million agricultural acres in the 29 counties. Seven million of them are in cotton. Seven million of them are planted in cotton. And I know there's a lot of dialogue between conventional agriculture and organic agriculture. There's a place for both of us at the table. Organic agriculture is growing by leaps and bounds. I hope more conventional farmers take the hint and make the move where the millennial generation is really pushing that envelope in, in organic agriculture. It's now a $43 billion industry in the United States alone. Cotton itself is $100 billion. So we have to be, and, and India beats us. So we, we have to be able to turn the tide, grow our own produce, grow our own food and fiber. Try living without some food and fiber in your life. It's going to be a rough, rough Row, uh, row to hoe, so to speak. So I'm happy to answer whatever question I can in, in regard to food and, and farm aid. We, you mentioned farm aid. We just wrapped farm aid for the 32nd year. I was on it for the first 10 years. I took a 10-year break. I'm back, and I sit on some of the advisory committees for that, and that was a, a great, great event. Uh, over 20,000 people showed up in, in Pittsburgh, right outside of Pittsburgh in Pittsylvania. And they in Brigittstown. <laughs> Brigittsville, PA. I'm not exactly sure where I was, but I was right outside of Pittsburgh. Beautiful. Absolutely stunning and beautiful. It was well, great. I, nice little airport to fly into. It was great. Oh, I, I wish I could have been there. I know, uh, see, what was it, back in 1985, Willie Nelson and Neil Young and John Mellencamp started it trying to protect uh, family farms because these huge conglomerates were buying them up and taking over. And uh, one of the things that I, I learned with research way back in 1983, 80. One around and there is these large corporations were buying up the small family farms and turning them into huge conglomerates. And so it was very difficult for the small family farmer to compete with these huge conglomerate growing machines that and that I, I've had a real problem with because I think most of them use uh, non-organic growing methods and also genetically modified seeds. And I know my listeners have heard me 
go on and on about how the so many of the heirloom and uh, different varieties of vegetables and fruits started really going extinct about that time at huge numbers. And I would seriously love to see the small family farmer back growing the multi-varieties of fruits and vegetables and the heirloom varieties and having that fresh local food. And I am just so excited to have you on the show today to talk to people about Farm Aid and what it is, how they can help, and why they should support it. And uh, and so if, if you don't mind, can you kind of tell us a little bit about more of what it is that they do? I know they have farmers' resources on the internet now so farmers can go there and and find ways to sell their produce or things to different organizations and I think so much of it is educating all of us on how how we can help our local farmer how we can be a part of helping bring back the local farmer and support them I know farmers markets are a really big part of that and I'm a huge farmer's market fan and I love to go to those and meet the farmers. And so can you just share with us a little bit about uh, expand on the farm aid and, and the different, different aspects of that? Sure. Happy to farm aid. You're exactly right. Started about, uh, about really 84 with the first show, first concert in 85. And it has just grown exponentially since then. It since has become a really quite a political powerhouse. Uh, it has uh, some political foothold into into our culture now. It, they had thirty, maybe thirty, thirty-two local farmers from the Pittsburgh area that had this had a little village. They created a village and called Homegrown, and they put on cooking demonstrations, food ex. Ex- expos, a farmer's market, so to speak, where you could buy all kinds of great organic produce. They, we talked about um, soil conservation, food and water. There was one guy that I, I really enjoyed his presentation in that he, he talked about hemp. Hemp is a big popular plant and it should be legal to grow in our country and all over. We, we do have some issues with it in Texas. Uh, it has a, um, a marijuana component to it, but the hemp plant itself is vital in in many different aspects, from not just making paper, but clothing and tires and all kinds of aspects to it. Well, so and hemp, rope, and then I think the oil rope, now is really taking off because it can help stop uh, all kinds of problems from children with epilepsy. Uh, seizures to I think they're using some of them to cure different varieties of cancer so you know it really is amazing that they can outlaw a plant that has been historically one of the most beneficial healthy plants on the planet for man's use and it it just is kind of beyond belief that they can just like outlaw a plant just because they feel like it I mean it's just it doesn't it doesn't make any sense, and I wonder if 
the huge um, medicinal properties of it create a problem for the pharmaceutical company's profits, and if that's tied into it at all, or also the synthetic rope business where, you know, they don't want hemp ropes, which is what was historically used to make rope throughout the ages. And so, you know, you have to really look at how political is this and who's really benefiting. So you follow the money, you know, who is the money. That's right. And so, you know, they're just, I feel like they're just playing God, um, telling us what we can and cannot grow. And that just doesn't seem right to me. Well, concert growers had the opportunity to take part in workshops, and actually some very good political debates were going on in regard to hemp making, paper making, uh, the fermentation, composting, seed saving. There was a wonderful uh, set of of dialogue that went on through that, and I wish, I really wish, and this is my push, to for the last couple of years, it's always been in the north. East or the Midwest, you know, Chicago has been home for the last couple of years to Farm Aid. This time it moved to PA. We need to get it back in Texas. It hasn't been in Texas since it was at Texas Stadium there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area before they tore the building down. So we, we, I'm pushing to get it back in Texas, and I would like to see it. We really need the exposure to what's going on, not only in rural America, but in rural Texas. So um, it's a big push for me. We had a wonderful conversations with farmers and activists, and you would have been most welcome and felt right at home there, along with other artists that explored issues in depth and inspired. We hopefully were inspiring concert act, concert goers into action. So time time will tell to see what happens uh, in the 2017 as they start planning the 2018 farm aid. But it was a a wonderful event and. I think everybody left educated and happy and entertained, and the music was fantastic. You can't argue with that. I mean, you've got Mel and Camp and uh, jo- Neil Young and Willie and Lucas and Micah and The Promise of the Real, and uh, it was it Cheryl was Crow and yeah, Cheryl, the powerhouse yeah. lineup. Oh my gosh! I'm, <laughs> I'm still not quite over it yet, but I am. You know, we we had to hustle back uh, that Sunday and. Uh, we got back. We had our we had a town hall yesterday here in in Abilene with Congressman Arrington, and the, the push continues. It it doesn't stop with Farm Aid. We'll take a couple of days off, you know, get the feet, and we start planning 2018 to make it bigger and better. Part of the Farm Aid is to push for a re- decreased regulatory action in the 2018 Farm Bill. That that is due. The 2018 Farm Bill is due on the president's desk in one year. Oh, my We've been heavens. working on it. We've been working on it since February. We've been hosting, hosting town halls, listening summits. We want to hear from ag producers, cotton producers, uh, gin manufacturers, ginners, uh, ag leaders. You know, you mentioned the 84 crisis, the early crisis in agriculture, a lot of that was because of political powerhouse that stopped lending to the small farmer. That small farmer could not go to his bank and get a loan to put in the crop. Why? Because in the early 80s, there was a political push from a company that you and I 
both do not like. Um, <laughs> the Monsanto brand, we, yeah. I'm not a fan of Monsanto. Even though I like the local rep here in the big country area, I really like him. He's a genuine guy. But back in the 80s, there was the, this political push that they, I, I tell you what, they're, they're brilliant people, businessmen that run that company <clears throat> because they were able to get a political swing votes in just about every congressional district in the country. They got judges on Supreme Court. They had people on their board running for Congress. And fast forward from 1984 to today, where Monsanto owns the soybean. They own the yeah. intellectual property of a soy, of a plant. How does that happen without a political swing? There's well, no I, way I that think that, that can happen. I would think you have to look and see if there's any kind of corruption going on there. I know there's some federal uh, lawsuits going on right now from people who feel like the Monsanto products have caused their cancer. And Absolutely. I know the federal courts have subpoenaed a lot of their documents and found that they actually ghost writ, wrote some of their clinical trials or papers that they submitted to the EPA. And the EPA knew about this. And sure. I was funded I'm by Monsanto, hopeful, many of those. I'm hopeful all this is going to come out. But, you know, how can a small farmer compete with a huge company like Monsanto that has very deep pockets? And from what I can tell, they don't have really the the corporate in in my opinion i don't feel like they have a humanity in their company that really benefits us all i know the world court did a uh, a um, tribunal on them and found them literally guilty against crimes against humanity and the environment and i personally would like to see them have to clean up the world and the big mess they've made and, um, yep. Well, there's no greater task ahead of us than to put together policy, solu policy solutions in the next farm bill to prohibit that in the future. That That is part of the dialogue that goes on right now. But they are so ingrained now into the political culture. As a matter of fact, just yesterday when we were doing our town hall, we spent probably 20 minutes on the toxicity of Washington, D.C., Wow. The right and the left. We, we had to uh, almost adjourn ourselves and take a little break because if there was any heated moments, moments in our town hall, it was with the toxicity level of the Democrats and the Republicans not being able to push anything through. I mean, my gosh, we have, we have the, the Republicans have the Senate, they have the House, and they have, they, they have the executive office. They've got majority in all of them still can't get anything through health care nothing's happened with the repeal of obamacare it's just a toxic environment and monsanto is right in the middle of it all it's just very interesting that you see how strong they are and they're in so deep it will never get them out until people die <laughs> well i think, I think one guy are said already dying seriously well but well, yeah, human beings are dying. Back. <laughs> Try to get back to yeah. them. 
You go back to Lubbock that uh, Monsanto put a big 150-acre seed coating plant in Lubbock, Texas. That's 150 acres. They grow seed, cotton seed, they coat it, and they sell it all over the world out of Lubbock. 12 uh, miles away. They, is that the one they, they coat it with neonicotinoid poisons? They, they that- coat it with a glyphosate covering so when the plant pops, when, when it sprouts, then glyphosate will, is expanded to kill the pigweed. But you got to take into consideration, we have 7 million acres of cotton out here. And this is probably one of the lower cotton acreages. Uh, some conventional farmers are making moves to plant other things, such as wine grapes, for example. We're, we're really growing in the wine grape industry in Texas. We're now the fifth largest wine grape growing state in the nation. Wow. Uh, a few years ago, we were we weren't, weren't even on the list, but we were already in we're already number five, and it's California, uh, Oregon, Washington, New York, and Texas. So we we've got New York in our sights, and we've got plenty of land in order to do that. I think that's going to be a that's the growing uh, a new commodity crop for a lot of cotton farmers that are making the move into more sustainable agriculture. As a matter of fact, if you go up around Lubbock, Texas, there's Cary County in Lubbock, which in the Lubbock area, which is the largest county in the state of Texas growing grapes right now. It produces more grapes. There's not one stock of cotton in Cary County. It's all grapes. It's much like the hill country if you're driving through the hill country, but centralized where farmers have been more proactive than in anywhere else in the state of Texas in stopping the conventional agriculture and planting sustainable crops. It's the largest wine wine grape growing county in the state of Texas, and it's beautiful up there, flat plains, (laughs) a lot of water. I'm so happy to hear that because, I mean, you're, when you say sustainable, you mean organic, right? Without the glyphosate, without the cancer-causing pesticides and fertilizers that are decimating the water system and um, creating uh, uh, less nutrients in the soil and and actually is a known carcinogen. Is, is, yeah, am I, am I hearing that right? So when they no, switch no, to sustainable... No, you're not, actually. Sustainable agriculture is meaning I'm, I'm only going to plant it one time. I'm going to plant a grapevine one time, and it's going to live for 50 years and pr- produce a bounty. Or Sustainable and organic agriculture are actually two different things. Now, I'm not saying that there are not a lot of organic farms, uh, vineyards up there, because there are. They, are. they go through the USDA certification process, and that's a three-year process. I've been through it. It is a headache timely and very expensive that's part of the 2018 farm bill that we want to be able to be able to fast track the conventional farmer that decides i don't want to grow cotton anymore i want to plant 40 acres of watermelon or i want to plant whatever whatever produce and if he goes and that soil test properly if it's clean on the first testing he now has to have his property tested twice a year for three more years at the cost of about $6,000. So there's got to be a temporary transitional certification that if my property is tested and it's clean on day one, 
clean of glyphosate, or are you, are you saying clean of like these chemical fertilizers and pesticides? Clean that? Of, yes, clean of okay. all so pesticides, all herbicides. To, okay, so years. transitioning to sustainable organic farming as right. compared to just transferring to sustainable farming, that means that they still may be using those chemical fertilizers and pesticides. There, there's a possibility, but most of the ones that are most of the ones that I have met and had conversation with and been to their property, that they made the, maybe the change where I'm going to take. I got a buddy up out here in West Texas. He's got eight thousand acres of cotton, eight thousand acres in your backyard, all wow. planted in beautiful <laughs> rows of cotton, and he's decided I'm going to take forty. I'm going to lot split forty off, and I'm going to put in. I'm going to start planting grapes. Richard, you've influenced me. I'm going to start planting some grapes. So we, we've planted an acre of grapes. We're going to plant more. He's got 40 acres lot, lot split. So for him, in order to get that organic, because his cotton, take into consideration, is Roundup Ready. Mm-hmm. It's Roundup Ready. So he's right across the dirt road planting a vineyard. He's not going to get a certified organic uh, permit for three years so he but he's not going to be using glyphosate on mm-hmm. that he's not he's not using an aerial spray so it's going to be difficult for him to get a certified organic permit for that 40 acres and that's where we want to find a transitional blend that mm-hmm. will take him from that from conventional agriculture to an organic agriculture in three years but okay. we want to be able to market those grapes as as a sustainable crop. so Sustainable clean. and probably maybe kind of transitional in a period of time where they're, as he's not putting these uh, chemical fertilizers and pesticides on it, even though it's next door and it can be coming over in the water system or in the air. Exactly. Um, there's which there's is got to a, be a transitional real problem. Uh, permit for him or a process for him to be able to make that move. And when well, that I'm, happens, uh-huh. you will see what happened in Terry County, in Taylor County, in Jones County, in Shackleford County. You'll start okay. seeing it. The transition has already happened. We're, uh-huh. we're making that move now. That's why we're number five in grape growing in the, in the nation right now with number four yeah. on our side. That gives me so much hope. I just, you know, this is just wonderful news. One of the things that I think a lot of our listeners don't realize is that cottonseed oil is put in a lot of these vegetable oils that people cook with. And veg- and cottonseed oil is not a food. And so all of these acres of cotton, a lot of these seeds are actually turned into an oil that they add to like vegetable oil. And because it's grown with these chemical fertilizers and pesticides and the glyphosate, it's actually toxic. And they're putting Absolutely. it into people's vegetable oil. So this does affect our food. And, you know, I love organic cotton clothing and organic cotton uh, fibers and things like that. So I would love to see a new farm bill that would really embrace the organics, the, the transitions. And I know when I was in South Africa last year, they were having a horrible problem with the native heirloom plants being destroyed by the neighboring farms 
putting these glyphosate and these chemical fertilizers and sprays on their own property, and yet it was blowing into or it was coming over in the water, and it was just decimating the wild indigenous plants that are so rare there and so they were having a, a a real problem trying to get the farmers to fence off their areas and put buffer zones between where they were spraying it and some of the wild areas of of the indigenous plants and so you know I'm wondering if maybe the farm bill can't have something like in that Bill that can help prevent these toxic farmers that are putting the glyphosate and these chemical fertilizers and pesticides on their property and, and force them to have a buffer zone of some, of, I mean, of some type between themselves and any kind of neighboring property or wild area. And I, you know, it's, it's it always amazes me that our government will overregulate people not putting chemical fertilizers and pesticides on the ground who are trying to be environmentally sound and do what I would consider the the best way to do it which is what God gave us God gave us organic so you know how can you improve on that so I just I feel like they overregulate the ones that don't cause harm, and yet they rarely regulate all of these chemicals and things that are developed and just allow people to put them on the earth or into our products or on our food without hardly any kind of regulation. And that just doesn't seem to make sense to me. Well, from an organic standpoint, I have to prove to the government that I didn't put anything on it where the same guy a hundred miles away that's growing conventional and using all, all types of herbicides and pesticides doesn't have to say anything. He didn't have to say so, anything. So I guess we just oh, have to assume <laughs> that all of these ones that, you know, are not organic, which I think is really sad. If it's not certified organic, you know, how do we, you know, assume they're maybe using something and, and not saying anything or I don't know. It's it's a real dilemma. And uh, I saw a, a picture the other day that said, you know, if Monsanto is so proud of their GMOs, then why the heck won't they label them? Well, you know, you there you get into <laughs> another whole aspect of farm bill and labeling. I, I've got to tell you that that became a, tip, a very tipping point a few years ago when we got into the Dark Act, if you remember, denying Americans oh, the yes. right to know, and, and uh, where uh, Pompeo, Mike Pompeo up in Kansas, he was pushing that. He's now the CIA director, ironically. And that, isn't that interesting, where the guy that was pushing the Dark Act became the CIA director? So I yeah, found that to be rewarded. very, very you got rewarded for pushing it, and and I I am a firm believer in labeling in the labeling law. I want to know what's on in on that product that I'm about to buy or that I'm not going to buy. I want to be able to identify that this is a clean, organic, certified product, or it's not. So I take the when I go to the grocery store, which is not very often anymore, quite frankly. But when I do go, if I even have to have a, a second thought when I see something organic because <laughs> there is there is some 
some mislabeling, some misleading terminology and labeling that could lead you to believe that it's not. That's why that USDA certified organic label is so important. That's the gold standard that we have right now. Until something better comes along, that's it. I don't really buy a whole lot of stuff without that USDA certified organic label on it. And if we don't have that hierarchy of of labeling and trust in in the USDA, it's a free-for-all. So I put a lot of weight in there. I'm a big fan of the USDA certified organic program. I've been through it. I know how tough they are. But we need to have some flexibility for that transitional farmer that wants to make the move into organics. First of all, it's cost prohibitive for a lot of people. They're not going to go. They might use the the growing principles and guidelines in order to get to the USDA certified organic label, but they can't afford the ten to six to twelve thousand dollars over the course of the to keep it. So it it's a it's a sticky wicket, so to speak, and the Farm Bill does address some of that. There are some subsidies coming in the 2018 Farm Bill to help that conventional farmer make the move and absorb some of those fees and costs. On the same breath, I tell you that the Senate just last week put together a $420 million or more cottonseed subsidy package. I haven't seen it. I've heard about it. I'm anxious to read what that subsidy is going to entail. In our town hall yesterday, it came up where the House is going to, when it gets goes through the Senate and goes over to the House, then they might add some amendments and it might even go up more, some regulations, acreage, acreage, acreage amendments to it. I'm not sure, but I just heard about it. When you mentioned cottonseed, there's a $420 million cottonseed subsidy that is in play right now as we speak. And I'm anxious to hear what that is all about because that, that's got to be some interesting um, uh, dialogue and reading material. That's how boring yes. my life is. I'm reading about cotton subsidies. So. Well, and you're one of the most knowledgeable people I know about that knows about the Farm Bill, and that is just a massive amount of information. But, you know, if, as well, you the, the have studied thing, this. I get, the biggest thing in the Farm Bill, for, from my perspective, from West Texas, West Central Texas, and quite frankly, all over the United States, is that we want to see organics more prominent in the 2018 Farm Bill. It, it's hardly even a, a footnote in the 2014 Farm Bill that Obama pushed through. We want to see organics more more prevalent in it. It's a growing market. That's where the millennial generation is. They're changing our culture, quite frankly. They're not buying cars. They like Lyft and Uber. They're not buying houses. They want to live in condos, and they're bu- but they're buying organic food. And as they become parents, their kids are going to be eating organic food. So with the $43 billion uh, revenue stream that came off of organics just last year is going to double and triple in time. Farmers see that. If you give them the opportunity to, to make a living on their, on their farm, they're going to grow what the people want. So we want to make it easier for that conventional farmer to make the move into organics. So part of the farm bill will address that. Part of the farm bill will also address Title I. 
And I don't know if your listeners are familiar with Title I, but cotton, cotton is the only commodity not in Title I. Obama pulled it out so he could push Pakistan cotton, India cotton, uh, Chinese cotton, world domination in cotton. Other countries started growing cotton, and that started to affect the commodity prices here in the United States. Just a few years ago, cotton was at uh, 47 cents a pound. You can't plant it and grow it for 47 cents. Now it's about 77, I think, 78 somewhere around there. So we're making the move. But we need cotton to be a Title I covered commodity in the Farm Bill. And what that means is it mean, it gives, gives our 29 counties out here in West Central Texas a safety net. The farmers, the producers, the jenners, the bankers, it gives them a safety net where if I go into the bank saying I want to borrow X number of dollars to plant 1,000 acres of cotton, the farm bill, and as a Title I covered commodity, much like it is with corn and wheat and soybean, ironically enough, soybean is a covered commodity. It means my banker is going to loan me that money to plant that thousand acres, and the note's going to be covered. The Title I covered commodity basically protects the farmer, the lender, the ag producer from the manipulation of the foreign markets. That's what it does. It protects my banker, your banker, the farmer's banker, the credit union, the ag credit union, from the market manipulations of India, Pakistan, China, even Wall Street for that matter. So that's what it does. And Obama pulled that out in 2014 for cotton farmers. But he didn't do it for soybean. We just want it back in just like every other farmer in the country. If you're growing corn in Iowa, you're covered. Your banker's happy. If you're growing soybean in Michigan, your banker's happy. But if you're growing cotton in Texas, your banker is has got a risk. And so that's that's what Title One does. It gives that banker some some certainty, a safety net that know, knowing that if the market goes to hell then it is going, his, his, that note is going to be covered by the federal government and the farm bill. That's all it is. Look, the farm bill, the agricultural farm bill is 0.26 of the federal budget. The farm bill is 0.26 of the federal budget. Oh, my it's God. Nothing. <laughs> it's nothing. Yet we can't get cotton covered. So that's this that whole year, just... my whole year awful for any of the farmers that want to grow cotton and I think you told me at one point and tell me if this is uh, still the case or if it's maybe going to be in the new one but when a farmer decides what crop they're going to grow they are committed to that for a period of years is that correct and then they're like locked in and they can't switch next year if they if they want to is well, is that you're, right? What you're talking about, the farm bill is a is a contract between the the national budget, your legislative branch, and your producer, and it's a five year contract. The farm bill will be is rewritten every five years. So that contract, if that, if the Matt, my buddy up here, has got eight thousand acres of cotton. If he wants to make, start making the move, he can't just overnight switch because it, when he goes in and, and does his, 
his due diligence or the banker does his due diligence, he's going to want it, the banker wants to know what your next four years of forecast is. What are you going to be doing? What's your four-year plan? So I when see. Says, okay. I'm going to lock, I'm going to grow cotton for the next four years. That gives the bankers some surety that here's what here's the game plan for the next four years or five years from the for the farm bill. But in many cases, they're wanting to make that transition over to more organic agriculture because look, cotton we're we're killing our land by growing one big crop. Well, it, from Abilene to Lubbock, it is Abilene to Wichita Falls, Wichita Falls to Lubbock. It's cotton, cotton, cotton. We're killing our land by not rotating that crop. It, you know, quite frankly, next year all that cotton should be corn or soybean or something else other than that. We should be rotating our crops, and we're really not doing that out here in this part of the world. We are cotton farmers. Cotton is king. It probably will always be king. But slowly by surely, we chip away at it and we put in grapes or we're putting in corn. I've seen more corn this year than I've seen in the last 10 years, which is great. And I see everybody making, I see a lot of people making the move from a conventional mentality to more organic thought processes. And that's coming from the younger farmers. The average age of a farmer out here in the United States is roughly 58 years old. The younger generation is not going into the farming agricultural industry. So we want, to, we want to really engage that younger millennial farmer to have him come in and have him start growing organic. The more organic producers we get, the cheaper the price it comes down at the grocery store. And that's the goal, to get people eating it. People don't eat a whole lot of organics because it's a little bit, it's costly. Well, isn't it more costly simply because our government taxes go to subsidize, subsidize these huge uh, conglomerate crops like corn and soybean and things like that that they use for like the corn for high fructose corn syrup and things that actually and fuel and fuel it's an ethanol and fuel and a lot of corn up in Iowa and and Indiana for um, for ethanol. Ethanol well, is, is that going to change in this new farm bill, do you think? Are they going to allot more money to the small farmer who's growing organic carrots or organic yes. rutabaga? Or, uh, yes. I'm, you know, I think There's that's really that what's going to bring, bring the, the price of food down. And I think so many people today have been so saddened by the fact that food that is healthy for us, it has more nutrients in it, that is organic is so expensive that I think so many people have actually started trying to grow their own food, even if they're in an apartment. And, and, um, and that just really, I mean, in a way, that's a good thing. I think that then you really truly have control over your quality of your water and the quality of your seed and the quality of your food. But in a way, it's, it's kind of reflects our distrust of, uh, you know, what's going on with of farming and and not being able to get the food locally or fresh or organically that we may need in in a way that we can afford it on a on a budget. Well, you're exactly right. I, I highly encourage everybody that has the opportunity to go and plant your own garden. There's something about the digging in the dirt without having to worry about 
getting your clothes dirty, or you take even a little bit of pride of going out and getting your T-shirt wet and sweaty and getting your hands <laughs> in the dirt. I think it's sexy, quite frankly. Well, I think it's one of the greatest things in the world to plant your own garden. Well, you're a master it. at organic farming, and I've tasted some of your amazing food, your pecans and your peaches and you've sent me some really great produce over the years and can you give our you listeners a little tip on because we're getting towards the end of the show I know this went so fast but I'd love for people to be able to get a hold of you or contact you if they want to uh, find out more information or maybe contribute to, to uh, some of the causes that you're you're leading to help make the farm bill more organic more small farmer friendly actually more friendly to the normal consumer in the u.s can you uh kind of share sure briefly a a little bit about that well i'm always excited to have the opportunity to get (laughs) and to go visit with people i've I've been with Congressman Arrington. We've been doing this courthouse tour, and I've been. We've been. We made a point when he would be home uh, from D.C. that we would go and do a a live radio remote from a courthouse near you. We just wrapped one a couple, uh, last week up in Jones County, little community called Anson, and we had Congressman Arrington there. Uh, Judge Brooks Hagler was there, and we had a roundtable about agricultural in our community. Look, it's very simple. We want, agriculture has three basic legs to it. It, We we want free markets, whether that's from a conventional standpoint or organic standpoint. We want more conventional farmers going into the organics. That's where the money is going to be made. Thank you, millennials. That's where the money is going to be in the future. We want a responsible safety net for our farmers and ranchers. We want a safety net. We want to be sure that what we're doing is going to be covered fiscally. And we want sustainable rural communities. There's another big push for rural broadband that's going to be in the USDA. We've merged our our company with an Internet company. We want to be able to provide rural Internet to small little towns that don't have high-speed broadband so they can listen to your show. We want them to be able to have an e-commerce platform from a little bitty town in West Texas. That's all it takes. You need, that's the e-commerce of the future. Organic agriculture, and give me some rural broadband, and you'll see these little bitty rural towns that have been decimated with people moving off to the bigger cities, you'll see them rejuvenate. So that's part of the rural economic development. If you want me to... If you want to hear more about it, you can always log on to Facebook. I have a couple of Facebook pages, the the Farm and Ranch Report with Richard Kemp. It's got a bunch of people on it. My personal page, the radio station page, the Country Giant. And there's even more pages. You can log on to klgd.fm and um, listen to us every day. We love it. I mean, this is what we live our lives to do. We're passionate about it. And I guarantee you, we are not going to stop or shut up until we get Title I covered as a covered commodity and more conventional farmers moving into organics. That's what our mission is. That's what we're put on this earth to do now, and that's what we're going to do, and and hopefully get farm aid back to Texas. So it it never stops. You know, we get up early, we stay late, and uh, we, we talk about agriculture every day. 
<laughs> I love that. And uh, for the listeners, I just want them to know that you spell your last name K-E-M-P. So it's Richard right. Kemp. With an KEMP, and it's the country giant. It's out of Abilene, and he is uh, really a master at organics. And he is very involved in the farm bill and um, with Farm Aid. And so that is just you know really a great place to go if you have any uh, questions or any kind of input that you might be able to help with in this area. And so, Richard, as, as we're kind of coming to the end of our show today, do you have any kind of, like, closing pearl of wisdom you want to share with our listeners? Something, parting thought? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I could, I could talk about this just about uh, all day, every day, but agriculture is, in my world, in your world, if you, if you like food, agriculture, and the environment like I do and like Nancy does, it's an important to bloom where you're planted, so to speak. Wherever you're at, wherever you're listening at, take the opportunity to, you can take this opportunity to make some changes in your own life with your own diet and clean up what you're eating and watch what you're eating. Read the labels of what you're eating. Go to your farmer's market. There's one thing in the farm bill that that has been spearheaded where there's going to be now more community action for, for farmers markets. There's an amendment, which I read, which I would have thought of it, but I didn't. It was, it's a part of uh, uh, Mike Conaway, who is the House Agricultural Committee head. He's from Midland, and uh, he's Congressman, uh, Congressman Conaway over in Midland. He put in the farm bill, which I think is brilliant, that Every farm, mar- uh, every farm market should be able to take the SNAP card. A lot of them won't. A lot awesome. of them don't. Uh-huh. I think that should be a, a mandate. If you're taking federal money to help promote your farmer's market, you should take the SNAP card. That gives the, the opportunities to those households that might be in a food insecure situation. It's the safety net for food insecure households. That is awesome. To be able to go oh. to the farmer's market and buy food. I love that. I worked with New York on that and and the, in New York City and and I and it's being successful. So I'm so glad to hear that. Well, we've come to the end of the show, Richard. Thank you so much for sharing all Anytime. of this brilliant information with us and I hope you'll come back and visit. And I'm Nancy Addison. My website is organic healthylifestyle.com and I hope you enjoyed the show today and as I close I just want to say that I feel like how we do anything is how we do everything and so as you go through your life and you touch the people around you just remember add that main ingredient and that main ingredient is always love love